BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think, and you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're answering your listener questions. You know it, buddy. This is an Ask How to Money Monday episode, and we've got five excellent listener questions to get to. Uh, one listener, she's got a job that she has that's great, but she's trying trying to decide whether she should go for the passion or if she should be going for the pay. Oh. Uh, she, Yeah, she's in a, a difficult spot. Not the only one who's ever asked that question, right? She's not, yeah. Uh, another listener is asking about this TikTok mortgage hack. We're, we're going to get to that one, plus a complicated life insurance product that a listener is asking about, and she's wondering if it's worth the additional hassle that accompanies that thing. We got those questions on Doc, plus a couple of others. But uh, Joel, real quick, I wanted to mention, so I was talking with our buddy Tim, he was bummed that we didn't talk about uh, my merino wool shirt because we had talked about that prior to going to Scotland. I feel like we've talked about and, your merino wool shirt quite a bit. <laughs> and uh, and he was just like, you ne- you never followed up on it. Like, did it actually hold up? And uh, he was hoping we would uh, let the listeners know whether or not, in fact, I was able to remain stink free or not. So, um, yeah, this was the whole goal behind your merino wool purchase. It's a more expensive shirt, but yeah. you, you're, well, you I, bought a couple uh-huh. because you were hoping that you could pack lighter and you could wear the same yeah. shirt three, four, maybe six days in a row and still <laughs> not stink it up. Well, I had two different shirts, and so I think I wore each shirt about four times. Okay. Uh, but, it, it, well, it's why I purchased the shirt so early, because I tested it. You know, we talked about it here on the show. I wore it for like seven days in a row here at home. Oh, I know. You made, you made me sniff it on occasion. <laughs> including going for a run within that shirt or w- while wearing that shirt. And I'm proud to say that... I mean, according to you, was I? Did I ever get funky during our Scotland trip? Not that I noticed, but I also tried to keep my distance. Yeah, so. please. We were <laughs> packed so tightly on many occasions. I feel like you would have noticed, especially those airplanes, man. But indeed, it worked incredibly well. So Tim and others out there who might be interested in merino wool, I totally think they're worth it, man. Like yeah. you, yet, like you said, you are paying a premium for that additional shirt or for that uh, extra fancy shirt, I should say. But it comes with some of these additional benefits. But actually, shortly after we had initially talked about that listener Amy she emailed us and was just like guys it seemed like she was just waiting for us to actually say the thing and we never said it so she wrote to us she's <laughs> like how do you not know about this you should be sharing this with your listeners specifically geartrade.com she said is a fantastic site for you to to go on there and purchase used gear you especially outdoor gear mm-hmm. so that can be a, a great place to find some of those used wool shirts yeah or whole which, lots, lots of other stuff too right yeah like, yeah it's not just shirts ski like boots tents sleeping um, bags backpacks all, all that kind of, of stuff yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so yeah, you might want to look on eBay, look on Gear Trade, that kind of stuff. Look to it's like a it's almost like eBay specific for 
outdoor gear. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, big thanks to to Amy. We're always up for kind of new sites, new ways to save money. Oh yeah. For the outdoor enthusiasts, I think that's a good one to at <laughs> least to at least take a look at. So Matt, let's um. Okay. Sorry. Real quick. Yeah. On that note, did you know that some REIs have a used gear section within the store? In the store, I didn't know that. Yes, well, a lot of we talked about this before. How a lot of retailers, especially specifically online, like Levi's, mm-hmm. Lululemon, they're reselling used gear a whole lot yes. more these days. So I'm glad to hear REI. So I was actually I was recently at the REI in Greenville, South Carolina. So I didn't see this at the one near us, but in Greenville, they had a whole corner of the store, and they just had some shelves, and it was straight up. And it wasn't like it wasn't just gear that had been returned because, and they weren't able to like repackage it or resale it. Like it's literally items that have clearly been worn uh, multiple times. Some were in better condition than others, but those prices were crazy low. So if, I mean, I didn't buy anything because I didn't need anything, <laughs> but I found it interesting that I had never seen that before. So yeah. I'm not sure if, you, if you've if you got an REI near you and you are a member of the co-op, check that out as well. Yeah, that's kind of the in-between from going to d- directly to the Goodwill or your local thrift store or Salvation Army it, or something. It was almost at that or level. Or buying something new. It's, somewhere, yeah. it's like that middle of the road option, which for a lot of people makes the most sense. All right, let's mention the beer we're having on this episode. This one's called Delusional Deformities. Of course, it's by Burial Brewing when it's got a crazy name like that. We'll give our thoughts on this one at the end of the episode. It's a lovely looking IPA. But uh, we are taking listener questions. And if you have a question for Matt and I, we'd love to take it on an upcoming Ask How to Money episode. Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask. There are simple instructions so you can record your voice memo, send it our way, and hopefully we'll take it uh, on the show soon. But Matt, let's get to our first one. This one comes from a listener who needs a little bit of budgeting help after a major purchase. Hi, Joel and Matt. My name is Nye. I am 27. I am from Boca Raton, Florida. I've been listening to you guys for about two months. I really enjoy the podcast and I look forward to every new episode. I purchased my first home about a year and a half ago and I used up the majority of my savings towards it for the down payment, furnishing it, etc. Everything that comes with a new home. I have been trying to rebuild my savings since then. So I have two questions for you guys today. About a third to a half of my monthly paycheck goes towards my living expenses, my mortgage, my groceries. I want to be able to open a high-yield savings account since I've been banking with a big bank since I was about 16. What would be your recommendation for a high-yield savings account and a system or a software I can use for my monthly budgets so that I can hold myself accountable to have savings set up for my unforeseeable future? Any tips, tricks, recommendations would be so helpful. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate your help. Joel, it's kind of fun to start off with a, a question that we can totally slam dunk. <laughs> but, Nye, we've got a, a great answer for you. But We're bound to brick a few of the other ones later. So. <laughs> no, uh, we are really happy to hear that you purchased your home at an excellent time. Hopefully, you know you were able to get in there before rates went sky high. I hope that you were able to lock in a mortgage like in that 3% range. That would be awesome. And we're also glad to hear that you're using less than half of your monthly income in order to go towards living expenses. The um, This actually kind of fits in line with the most uh, basic sort of budget approach out there. It's the, the 50, 30, 20 method, uh, where 50% of your income goes to pay for your, your monthly needs. Essentially all the basics. Uh, but then that Food, leaves you... transportation, housing. Housing, exactly. And clothing. Wait, did you say clothing? No, I didn't say clothing. You got to protect yourself from the elements, but make all sure you go to World- GearTrade.com. <laughs> yeah, all the Marino <laughs> wool shirts you need need to be factored into that 52. Uh, but then you've got 30% of your income that's left for once, and then 20% then goes towards saving and investing. My guess is that you are making that happen based on the information that you shared, the fact that you were able to, first of all, even save up that down payment payment. But it, yeah, it basically, it sounds like that your finances are, generally speaking, in a good spot. Yeah. I think it's just a weird thing to see your savings depleted all at once uh, for one major purchase. And that is what happens when you buy a home. Totally. So it can freak you out from a financial perspective, even if you're prepared. And even if your budget moving forward fits into that 50, 30, 20 approach, it just feels like you're replenishing something that took a long time to build up. And I get like there's like, uh, it feels like you're, you're, you're uh, climbing up a treadmill that is inclined, uh, but still, it doesn't mean you made a bad decision. Yeah, hopefully, and, yeah, nah, hopefully you, you do not have buyer's remorse, yeah. again, because you have the benefit of seeing where the market went, not only with home values, but also with interest rates. And also, just hopefully, yeah, buying a home you love where you live, and that you're sinking into the community, basically, where you've purchased that home. But let's get to kind of your questions, specifically in the aftermath of that home purchase. You've only been listening, like you said, for a couple of months, so you might not yet know 
our disdain for big banks. We do talk about it <laughs> have frequently. Have we mentioned it recently? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if we have. Probably at least once a month. It, it comes up. Uh, that our our disdain runs deep. And it does. Wells Fargo is is probably our least favorite, <laughs> given the way they've they've abused customers in recent years, the many ways in which they've been fined, they've taken advantage of customers, and they've been held accountable for it. Probably some ways in which they haven't been held accountable, at least to the extent they needed to be. But all of the big banks offer paltry rates of return. And so we're glad to hear that you're ready to leave. I think she said, uh, Nye said she'd been banking with the big banks since she was a teen. And mm-hmm. it is, uh, it's time, I think, for, for Nye to do the adulting move and to open yeah. up an account elsewhere, specifically with a bank that's going to offer better services, uh, but also higher rates of interest on the money that she's got sitting there in the, those savings and checkings accounts. Yeah. I, I think it could be difficult to do because of the fact that she's been with them for so long. Like she might have an emotional connection, but that's, oh, I hope not. that's not a good reason. <laughs> well, you know, it's like kind of like the, the first bank account that you have. You're used to seeing that logo at the top of the statement. You're used to receiving the emails. And I think that that could lead to you potentially staying put, but Nye is listening to How to Money. She knows that there is money that she's leaving on the table. I mean, especially if she's been, I think, yeah, maybe since she was 16 is what she said. That's a lot of interest over the years that she has failed to receive. Well, especially now, especially now in a different interest rate environment where you can actually make money on your savings. That is true. Well, and I wonder if, is it like Stockholm syndrome? Is that what it is when the, like comes to love those who've like suppressed, yeah, uh, yeah. that might be what's happening (laughs) here with Nye, but hopefully not. Hopefully she can overcome that and move her money elsewhere to a bank that like, I don't know, cares about her and, and, and wants to see her succeed. Well, there are What's it when you give human attributes? Anthropomorphize? Is that it? Yeah. I think so. I'm not going to go that far and say that there are banks that actually care about you. They're still looking to make a profit, right? But, sure. But they are providing benefits and offerings that are that far exceed what it is that the big banks are offering. And so we're particularly fond of Ally Bank. I've been with them for a number of years. Capital One, Joel, you've been with them. For, well, Capital One back in the day, we've talked about this before too, yeah. was ING Direct. And ever since then, they've been able to hold on to those very competitive interest rates. Well, let's be honest. I've got multiple bank accounts. Matt and we do. I like to test them out. I like to know which ones are the best. I've got three. It's like Capital One, Discover, and CIT are the ones I use the most. Dabble a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But those are also great options that you mentioned as well. Uh, And those aren't the only good banks out there. Actually, there's a robo advisor firm, Betterment. They've got a great savings like product essentially. Um, It is worth noting. It's not technically a bank, uh, but they've got what they call a cash reserve account where your money is swept out to the other banks. Uh, And so because of that, your funds are FDIC insured, though. Uh, And actually, because your money is in accounts with multiple banks, your funds are actually insured up to $2 million as opposed to the $250,000 that you get with just a singular bank. So Nye is flush with cash. She's flush. That's a good good, uh, opportunity to take advantage of. She happens to like keeping like 400 years worth of uh, living expenses on hand, (laughs) which we don't recommend doing. But savings accounts, they are paying close to that 5% now, uh, which means more realistically, uh, if you've got maybe like 10,000 bucks in savings, like you're going to snag $500 over the course of a year instead of essentially no money, like negative money. They're going (laughs) to, they're taking your money. Uh, And plus there are fewer fees with the online banks as well, because like literally you are paying money to some of these big banks because of the fees that they're charging you. Uh, And these great online banks, they don't do that. But uh, nah, congrats on finally ditching those big banks, kicking those guys to the curb. Yeah, I love to see it. Especially especially, uh, when the trend is going in the opposite direction, right? The big banks keep getting bigger, but they aren't getting any smarter or more customer focused. That's for sure. And on the note of a, a budgeting system or software, I think so much, Matt, depends on a person's personality. Matt, you're the quintessential spreadsheet nerd. I, I'm the exact opposite. I, I like the numbers. You literally have <laughs> every single budget uh, for the last 15 years in your in your spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. You could pull up. My first one was from 2007. What you spent on groceries? Yeah, back back in 08. If in you want to August of 2007, when Kate and I got married, it's probably pretty very little. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna lie. It's impressive. It's impressive. But and and you know that actually whatever is gonna help you though. Matt will link to his budget template in the show notes. If that yeah. if that's gonna help you, if some sort of Excel. Spreadsheet spreadsheet, if that's going to be your jam, well, it's free, which is nice. And, and it's true, software can't fix your budget, but it can help if you're committed. And if it kind of pushes you to be more active when it comes to your budget and your finances. And so we're big fans of YNAB, you need a budget, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it costs a little bit of money, but uh, a lot of users claim basically that it saves them way more than it costs them. Yeah. And yeah. It, the beh- Because of the behavioral side. Exactly. Of it. Like, and I completely believe that. I think were you to say, well, I'm not going to spend the small amount of money that it costs every single month 
month. Well, I think it's worth testing it out and seeing. It's sort yeah. of like sort of like going going to Aldi. People are like, oh my, like I don't want to go to Aldi. It's like it's it's too cheap. But well, how about you give it a shot and see if it truly does cut your grocery bill by like thirty percent, which yeah. is what it did for us, and that was enough to make us stick around. That's for sure. Yeah, I think for for same m- thing with YNAB. Most people who actually use it, YNAB is going to be one of those things where what you spend feels like a drop in the bucket compared to the transformation it can have on your on your money and how you handle it. And totally. Plus, yeah. you can try it for for free for thirty four days. We'll we'll put That's a right. link to it in the show notes. But it's one of those things where I think YNAB has yeah such uh, such a massive impact on people who use it that I don't hesitate to recommend it to anybody who's like, I want some software to help me with budgeting. I mean, YNAB is is number one in that regard. But the only problem with software is that it, in my mind, it's got this way of being forgotten about, right? Like it's on your computer or your laptop, you set it up, you give it a try. But if it's not top of mind, then it may not necessarily translate into you rebuilding your emergency fund as quickly as you'd hope for. So in addition to utilizing the fanciest software out there, you might want to consider something super analog and basic, uh, like drawing out one of those uh, fundraiser thermometers <laughs> like that you see at schools who have, who've got campaigns going on. Uh, but at the top, it's just simply your fully funded emergency fund. Uh, chart your progress and then just stick that sheet of paper up in your fridge, color it in as you make some progress, because I would want to be reminded of it multiple, uh, multiple times a day just so that it's, it's front and center, so that it's regularly on my mind. It's not just something I revisit at the end of the week or at the end of the month. You know, when you check in to see how you've done with your budget as you are reconciling some of your expenses, you want a way to like emotionally feel it that way when you're out with your friends. You're probably not going to not necessarily going to think of the software or the spreadsheet that you've got on your computer, which, by the way, maybe it's been like 20 days since you last saw that thing. But there's a good chance that you'll remember that thermometer or whatever, you know, like a chart or filling in some some blocks or something like that, that you saw that morning because it was magnetized to your fridge. Yeah, that could be that perfect combination of yeah. digital and analog, right? Where you're you're maybe using something like YNAB to, to help you with the nuts and bolts and you're checking in once a week or every other week with that, but also that daily physical reminder of something on your fridge or on your bathroom mirror. I, I kind of like that that both and approach. Yeah, well, and I mentioned that too because my, I mean, essentially that's what my wife does. That's what Kate does with our calendar. Like we've got a digital calendar that we communicate mostly with and when she sees things change on there, but she also keeps a physical calendar that she fills out by hand where she's able to see multiple months at the same time because she likes to have a an overall picture and overall scope as to what's going on in the coming months. In that way, her and I are kind of similar. We like to, we like the data, (laughs) everything going in its proper place. But Nye, I hope that that gets you pointed in the right direction and that you are able to replenish that emergency fund, that you're able to get back to three to six months worth of living expenses. Yeah, sooner rather than later, hopefully. So we got more uh, listener questions to get to, including one listener wants to know about uh, a TikTok mortgage trend and whether this could save him big bucks. I don't believe we've ever talked about this on the show before. And Mm, nope, we'll we'll talk about it uh, coming (laughs) up that and more right after this. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Jill, I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about. Getting your books together with uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes, for instance. That's something we've been in the middle of. But it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000 
25 and 1. That's right. Yeah, 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. There's a lot of power in the simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on. I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. (laughs) Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust and Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash howtomoney for 10% off plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish with ease. So get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust and Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust and Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. All right, we are back from the break, Joel, and we've got a question from a listener who has a cush job, but is it too cush? Hey, Matt and Joel, this is Leah from Kansas City, Missouri. I'm a, a fairly new listener to your podcast, but I've been really enjoying it. It comes at a great time in my life when I'm trying to take better control of my finances and plan for the future. I just recently listened to your episode on if early retirement is a good goal or not, and it really provoked some thinking uh, for me. And I wanted to ask you how you recommend comparing, I guess, a well-paying job versus, say, a job you're more passionate about. For example, you know, if I'm in a job right now that is the best paying job I've ever had, and it's opened up a lot of freedom for me and stress relief, but isn't necessarily inspiring to me on a day-to-day basis. However, uh, most of the jobs in my preferred field or area are not very well paid or tend to be more physically demanding, etc. And so I was just curious, how would you go about comparing the pros and cons of a pay cut for something that you're more passionate about or sticking it out for something that, you know, is a, is a good enough, fine enough job, but maybe a little boring or unfulfilling? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Matt, I really like this question. It's an interesting one. I yeah. think there's there's a lot to discuss. These are the like the, in my mind, these are the best questions. Like the ones that like there's not necessarily going to be a clear cut answer, but that's what makes it so interesting yes. and, so, and so fun. As just opposed to just like I mean, different not, important things to weigh. In I don't want you to think that your question wasn't great as well. <laughs> <laughs> but with yours, there's a slam dunk answer, and we're not going to break it, like you said earlier, Joel. But Leah's question has a little more nuance going on. For sure, for sure. And Leah, first off, like we're, we're glad to have you on board. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And first, I think that work can be fulfilling. I think it can offer more than just a paycheck. And I think that that really is a, a fortunate reality of our modern age. That, is, that hmm. was not the case necessarily a, a few hundred years ago, sure. right? Yeah. It's, specialization has allowed people to, to really pursue their interests, no matter how niche they might be, and, and find a way to turn maybe even an obsession into making a decent living. Uh, and, and and sometimes one maybe that might make you more than you'd otherwise be able to make if you kind of were to go a more traditional route. But I, I will say this, the flip side of it is I also think a lot of young folks have been sold a bill of goods when it comes to how they should 
experience work and perceive it. They expect their job to provide meaning at this existential level. And oh, yeah. I just don't think any job is really able to offer that. And so I think the more we search for that, the more we're going to be uh, probably left wanting because it's really hard for work to live up to this reality that I think we used to find in other places. Uh, it, it, even a job you really enjoy, right, is going to have a hard time paying those sorts of dividends uh, because even those jobs have downsides. They have hard days, even a job that you love, right? Like, Matt, we like what we do here. And I... I'm excited to get to do uh, to podcast with you three days a week and all the other things that we do. But but wait, I'm waiting for <laughs> waiting for the shoe to drop. But I don't like wake up smiling every day because I'm like oh, I can't wait to get in there and podcast. I mean, th- <laughs> there are parts of the job that are not my favorites, and there are times where it's more joyous than others. And yeah. so even when you love what you do, even when you're in the for- fortunate position that we're in to get to work with your best buddy and do something that that you are deeply connected to, it doesn't mean that every day is like rainbows and sunshine. That's right. Well, you know, some days we're just like knocking heads a little bit. And that makes me think of this quote, Joel, that like, so you and I, we like, we, I feel like we say this to each other all the time. There's probably like five or so that you're guessing from uh, <laughs> at, at this point. But this is a quote from Thomas Sowell. And he says this, there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. And Leah, this is exactly what you're going to have to do. You're going to need to look at some of these different goals that you might have for yourself and then to determine if uh, a different, potentially lower paying job is going to be worth it for you uh, and to maybe run the risk of oversimplifying it. It's important to note that there are financial goals and lifestyle goals as well. And you're going to have to consider both of those. And I mentioned that because you even mentioned that you've more recently, uh, and I wrote this down because it stood out to me, but quote, taking control of your finances and planning for the future. So when I heard that, like I assumed that, you know, when you said that, that you've got financial goals in mind, but either way, you're going to have to personally weigh the pros, weigh the cons of a higher paying, but low fulfilling job with the job that maybe, you know, may not pay as well, but you are going to be much more passionate about it. And unfortunately, there isn't a simple formula that's just going to give you the the quote unquote right answer because the right answer for you might be the wrong answer for the next guy, right? But if you're able to think through your specific goals and when it is that you want to achieve those different milestones in your life, that should help to inform you which job it is that you should pursue. If you're if you're looking to if, if you've got more financial goals basically on your on your horizon, then oh, you know maybe you hang on to that job. But if some of the goals that you have for yourself are more personal in nature, well, is if that that lower paying job is going to allow you to achieve some of those personal, some of those lifestyle goals. And then maybe that's what you should be considering. Uh, but it also makes me think of our interview, our conversation with Simone Stolzoff, and he wrote The Good Enough Job. And I love that at the beginning, he basically laid the, the, the framework and he said that it's neither more noble to love your job and for it to basically be your passion or for you to view your job as just a way to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, I think regardless of which path that you can take, you can do it well. I completely agreed. And yeah. and one of the things that Leah said was that she didn't feel inspired going into work. Mm-hmm. And I just wanna I just wanna say that I think that's normal. I don't think most people go into work feeling inspired. And is that a noble goal or is that fine or actually probably pretty cool to feel inspired going into work every day. Yeah, I, I do. I think it's possible to be inspired by what you do. But that, again, comes with trade-offs, like you mentioned, Matt, the uh, the lovely Thomas Sowell quote, which informs so much of how I make decisions. It, it's like, okay, there is no perfect. How do we, what's the so, best? So what's the best option? What's the best solution given mm-hmm. that we're going to miss out on this, this, and this? If we go in this direction, well, I'm, you know, and I'm glad you found some financial freedom with this current job. That's important. And if it offers enough financial and time freedom to pursue other hobbies and interests, I wouldn't necessarily look to give, look a gift horse in the mouth. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 sometimes that is the best thing. And it actually is when, like, when you think about the fundamental necessity of a job, it is to provide economic stability for you and for your family. But if it's constraining you in other ways, like you're working 55 plus hours a week, or, you know, if, if, if it's just costing too much and you could do just fine on a reduced salary and you'd be able to work less hours and just enjoy your life more. Well, I mean, it's at least worth looking to see what else is out there. Right. Mm -hmm. And the reality is the key that's going to allow you to take the ideal job when, or if it does come along is upping your savings rate. 
that is what gives you more options. And I've recently heard somebody say, Matt, that you, in your career, you say yes a lot early on mm-hmm. so that you can say no later. You're kind of front-loading the sacrifice. Oh, yeah. And I think that's really true. I mean, I think in your 20s, you're probably doing some of the grunt work, some of the things that you don't want to be doing when you're 40, 50, 60, but you're doing them to to kind of accelerate, to advance, to get to the place where you have more control and you can create more autonomy, whether that's going down the entrepreneurial path or whether that's just ending up in a position where you get to kind of decide what it is you want to be doing with your time a little bit more. You're hopefully not only just building up the, the career clout, but you're, you're, you're simultaneously building up the financial reserves that just give you a whole lot a whole lot more options, right, as you get older. And so some of that just depends on, on your age, where you're at in your career, and whether or not you're financially at the point yet where you feel like you can take the plunge into the joyful career that pays mm. less versus the one that allows you to make more progress right now so you can transition to that a little bit later. I, it's totally. So, so much depends on what's going on with the finances exactly. underneath. Yeah, but don't quit without actually having a backup plan, right? Where you're just hoping that that dream job is going to fall into your lap. <laughs> You'd be leaving yourself financially exposed were you to actually do that. Uh, but it is always, like you mentioned, kind of like keeping an eye open for, for jobs, Joel. I think it is worth checking the job listing, seeing what's out there, maintaining your network for sure. Maybe even applying when you come across some opportunities that might be more up your alley. And even going through that process, might you might discover that, oh, actually, they're willing to pay more because of experience maybe that you're able to bring to the table, even if it's in a completely different industry. Uh, but if you've got enough financial margin, if you've been making hay while the sun shines, while you are currently making more at your, at your job, well, you're going to be able to afford to bounce and, and even take a pay cut if that is what's going to be required. That's a great position to be in. Uh, and, you know, they say that when you're negotiating, the person who basically cares the least they win. <laughs> and that's totally true. And it also applies uh, in this situation, because if you're not finding finding that fulfillment anymore in that job, and you're able to say, well, I don't really care anymore. Well, you're, you're going to be able to take a job, even if it pays less, if you are financially prepared. Because the more financial security that you have, the more you're going to be able to choose your own adventure, right? You are going to be able to turn down that higher salary for a job that you like a whole lot more. This is essentially what happens once you've reached coast fire. Um, So, you know, assuming that setting aside enough for retirement, that that's a financial goal of yours. Once you've built up enough of a nest egg that you don't need to necessarily contribute to your to retirement anymore. Well, you should then feel complete freedom to pursue another career if that is a lifestyle goal of yours. Um, But I honestly, there's one other way too. I think that you are going to be able to potentially have your cake and eat it too. Because what's interesting is that you mentioned that that the job that you have now, that you get paid a lot, but that it also doesn't have any stress, which is funny. Most of the time folks are like those two things are at odds. They're like, oh, I make a ton of money, but it's a really stressful job. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that even pushes you in the direction of maintaining that job because if you don't have any stress there and all it is that you're looking for is maybe some additional fulfillment or satisfaction from that job, I would say to try to find a way to transform that job that you have into a job where you are able to garner more self-satisfaction. And I think that might be by finding different ways to challenge yourself at that job. And it's not necessarily to just to create like drama at work or to make your life unnecessarily hard. But if you are someone who thrives off of achievement and like hitting the next rung, then for you, maybe that does mean seeking after some additional milestones even within that career. But if that's not the case, I think one other sort of way that you can have your cake and eat it too is just with a shift in mindset. Because a lot of times I think individuals have like they aren't able to connect what it is that they do with the greater good, essentially, right? And so if you're able to connect the dots between the specific job that you do and see how that's making the world a better place, or just at the very least, if how you're able to make the life of somebody better, I think that that could bring a whole lot of fulfillment. It's, it's not that you're even changing anything about your job, except for the way that you're thinking about it. You're just connecting those dots as opposed to siloing yourself within your department yeah. or whatever it is that you do. I think that could also lead to you discovering a whole lot more satisfaction within your job that you already have that pays so well. Sure. And as always, remembering that there are so many other ways in this life to get fulfillment outside of your nine to five. And also true. (laughs) And our society has done an amazing job at selling us kind of this recipe to a happy life, which includes having some sort of higher calling associated with your work. And that is not 
Again, that's not a bad thing. That's not something we want to poo-poo or like uh, talk smack about. But it's also true that you can have an amazing life and go to a job every day that you're proficient at, that you're good at, that pays the bills, and have the best life ever without absolutely loving your job to the core of your being. Absolutely. All right, let's get to our next question. And this is that one about that TikTok mortgage hack. Hi, Joel and Matt. My name is Jacob, and I'm from Mesa, Arizona. I recently saw a video that explained if you had a variable interest mortgage rate, you could pay $1 a day to reset the compounding interest, which in turn paid off your mortgage faster. I tried to find more info on this, but didn't find much. Is this something that you have heard about or done in your personal life? Secondly, if this is the case, for someone who has a good fixed mortgage rate, would moving to a variable rate be beneficial? Thank you. All right, man. I think we need to we need to slow Jacob's roll here real quick. And not everything you see on TikTok is credible or is financial advice you should trust. And we, I think there is some decent advice, right? Oh, like, for sure. like we know some creators or publishers on TikTok, I, I, on Instagram. I hate saying influencers, but <laughs> uh, but there are there is there can be some some great information out there. Sure, like you said, yeah, not everything. Yes, no, great. no, no. There's a lot of good stuff, but there's also uh, probably just as much, if not more, crap out there on the socials. And and so. No, I had not ever heard of this strategy. I don't know if you'd ever nope. heard of it, Matt. This seems like something that is a recent occurrence, and it really is just mostly a TikTok trend. But we looked it up, and of course, it was yeah, stemmed from from TikTok, at where everything good, holy, and true comes from, right? <laughs> okay, not quite, but re- really, like it doesn't. It just doesn't hold up to scrutiny, and it doesn't really make much sense on its face either. Because if only recurring daily one dollar payments towards your mortgage could stop <laughs> interest from accruing, this would be like a game genie sort uh, of move, I've right? Got 365 bucks right here, ready yeah. to deploy, baby. And all the big banks <laughs> would be shaking in their boots. They'd be like, oh my goodness, how do these just uh, brilliant individuals finally figure out the... Dang you, TikTok! Yeah, it's it's like that, uh, what is in Star Wars, when there's that like, one hole that they got to shoot the lasers <laughs> through, and this is the bank's Achilles heel that they just haven't yeah. protected, right? I mean, that's what it would be like, but that is just, it, it's not the case, right? The, the theory is that banks don't accrue any interest on days that you make a payment, which means a dollar a day for 365 days. Mm-hmm. Like, boom, guess what? You just stopped any interest, <laughs> no from, more interest baby. from gathering. The snowball just uh, ceases to continue. And that would allow you to reduce like uh, a 20-year mortgage down to like five years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which would be incredible. But no, it's, it's just not reality. Because in reality, the only way to reduce the amount of interest you pay on your loan is to pay that balance off more quickly. And That's a dollar right. extra per day is, isn't doing nothing. But it's doing close to nothing. Yeah, like uh, paying paying a dollar extra each day lessens your the length of your loan by potentially months. Definitely not years. So by mere months, not fifteen years. Sure. Yeah, your thirty year mortgage, you might pay it off four months sooner, but That's you're right. not going to pay it off fifteen years sooner. Yeah, there's no hack to avoid paying that interest on your mortgage. This random TikTok person didn't he didn't crack some code. You uh, may have gone viral, but again, his advice is crap. Uh, and so the only hack to actually pay less in interest is to just shove large amounts of extra cash <laughs> towards that mortgage. Uh, so for instance, uh, for example, instead of paying your mortgage monthly, were you to instead just make half of a month's payment every two weeks instead. It's oftentimes called like the bi-weekly approach or, or something like that. Uh, but if, if you were to do that, you'll pay off your mortgage years sooner. It, it truly will have a big impact. But that being said, depending on your interest rate, paying it off more quickly, it likely is not in your best overall financial interest. Uh, and so even if this was something that you could do, just because you could doesn't necessarily mean you should. Yeah. So basically, if you're paying your mortgage every two weeks instead of once a month, you end up making one extra full payment a year, which that's it's that psychological trick that allows you to then pay that mortgage down faster. But that psychological trick involves meaningful extra amounts of money going to pay off the principal balance, so yeah, you're reducing a, the amount of interest. It's a full you owe. payment. Yeah. Not. 300 something dollars. Right. <laughs> like this is a real amount of cash. Right. Yes. So it's it's important to note that. And like you said, if it's a 3% mortgage, you might be shooting yourself in the foot by paying you know off your mortgage more quickly when you could earn more just in a basic savings account. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, <laughs> and this makes me think too. It changes the calculus, the world that we're living in. Right yeah. Now. And Jacob's saying, well, should I refinance out of this mortgage that I've got into one with a variable rate? No. 
no way. I mean, another I, Star Wars meme. Right. It's a trap. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, again, you're 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 doing yourself a disservice if you do this. It costs money to refinance, and also you're going from what's in all likelihood an incredibly low fixed rate to something that is higher to begin with, and in all likelihood will remain higher for years, if not the whole rest of the life of your balance. Right. And so, yeah, chances are you're giving up something stellar in favor of the unknown. And uh, yeah, so it, and it's not just the unknown. It's like I said, that the, re- the reality that the starting rate is so much worse than what you've got right now. It, and it's it's going to raise your payments in a big way, uh, it, all in hopes that this $1 extra a day just stymies the interest building, which isn't the case. So um, it's, it's definitely best to keep what you've got. I would not look into refinancing. Not many people are refinancing these days because rates are at the highest they've been in some time. So yeah, well, and, and it's also not because we're against arms, adjustable rate mortgages. There's a lot of diehard, well, like fundamentalist type of personal finance folks out there. And they're like, you got to go like 30 or 50, ideally 15 year fixed, but you know, 30 year at the very least, uh, 30 year fixed. But we've kind of come around on that. Sometimes we think that an arm can make a lot of sense because based on behavior, the fact is we don't stay in homes typically for 30 years, especially if you, this is a first time, if you're a first time home buyer uh, and you've got big goals, you know, going back to Leah's question, going back to personal goals that you might have. If you've got a family and you're looking to grow that family, eh, chances are you're not going to continue to stay in that little 2-1. You're probably going to move on. Yeah, for sure. And you might have been paying more every single month for a lot of years. Well, you could have opted for that arm instead. And, and there can be a big discrepancy between the, the rates you might see on something like a 10-1 arm versus what you might see for a 30-year fixed. And, and so you've, you've, you realize that yourself. Yeah. Uh, when I was shopping last for this year. last for the house we're currently in last summer, the, the adjustable rate mortgages were a full point lower. And so it just made sense. I was like, in 10 years time, I'm going to have so many different options at my disposal, whether it means uh, hopefully saving up enough where I can pay off the full balance if I want. There's just so so many different ways I can skin this cat. And so uh, taking the bird in the hand, which was the one point lower, knowing that I had that locked for 10 years, mm-hmm. I it, that was the best financial move for us. Yeah. And so I, 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 I used to be kind of anti-arm, but mm-hmm. no, I'm, I no longer am. It's, but we, it's, talk, we talk long and hard about it. And I think that's, that's also when I was like, oh man, I think I should have gotten an arm too. <laughs> because we... I mean, the house that we bought, we were specifically thinking, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll be here for a few years. Well, then why the heck would I have gotten a 30-year mortgage yeah. when I could have potentially gotten something significantly lower? But then the, the other side of the argument is that, well, you never know. And the joke is between Kate and I is like, well, yeah, watch us be stuck in this house for the next 20 years. <laughs> like the one house that we think that is going to be a temporary home for us, we're going to be in the longest that we've ever been. Right. Whereas <laughs> the, the last one you were in, you were like, we're going to be here forever. And you weren't. So. And we were not. That's yeah. the lesson I've learned is that it's things are not as certain as, as you think they are. Yeah. But as long as you know what you're getting into and you're, you're getting a, a significant rate reduction, I think an arm can make sense for a lot of people. But, but for Jacob... Changing, exchanging what he's got, it, which is in all likelihood, he didn't say the exact rate, but which is in all likelihood a ridiculously low rate, trying to exchange it for an arm doesn't make any sense. And right. following, I would unfollow this this person on TikTok <laughs> right away because they're, they're not steering you right. And they're in fact spewing bogus information. So Matt, we've got more uh, questions to get to, including one from a listener about a life insurance policy that costs 15 times what our favorite kind of life insurance costs. But is it worth that increased cost? We'll get to that and more right after this. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? 
Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. I got my first life insurance policy almost a decade ago. And hey, I'm still kicking it. I very much hope that trend continues, Matt. And since then, I've actually added coverage via Policy Genius. And if you out there, you're listening and you're worried that this is going to be a massive pain getting life insurance, think again. Policy Genius made it an incredibly easy process. If you have loved ones who rely on you and your income, life insurance is a crucial part of your financial plan. Not only does it provide a financial backstop for your family, it also gives you peace of mind too. Plus, the longer you wait, the more rates go up because life insurance rates typically increase as you get older. So if this is something you've been putting off, it's time to make it happen now. That's right. Yeah. And even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to PolicyGenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com. All right, buddy, we are back from the break, and it is now time to hear from a mother who wants to make sure that she is setting her son on the path towards some financial success. Hey, this is Shannon Bearden from Covington, Louisiana. I've been a listener of your show and a big fan. I have a son that's turning 18 and going off to college in Alabama, trying to make sure we are thinking of everything, pros and cons, and making the right choices to give him his first credit card, whether or not we should put his car in his name, his insurance in his name, bank accounts, all that fun stuff. Can you please help me think of everything as he turns 18, including filing taxes separately so that he can get what was withheld from his Chick-fil-A check back versus keeping him as a dependent on mine? All right, Shannon, congrats. Congrats to your son going off to college. Yeah. A big milestone. We uh, just recently released an episode. Oh, that's right. For that, graduates. That could be an excellent episode. We actually for didn't address to to. any of the questions she asked here, uh, <laughs> but hopefully it's a bigger, more philosophical approach to money that'll help him out. So exactly. Um, if, if you if you haven't heard that or if, or if he, he hasn't heard that, I would suggest maybe that's the one how to money episode you can get him to listen to. But yeah, let's talk about your specific questions and we'll kind of go one by one. Like first, he should probably get a credit card sooner rather than later and that's for a couple of reasons really you know he'll be able to get his own credit card at the age of 18 if he has proof of income and it sounds like he does because of that chick-fil-a job that you mentioned and so having this credit card while you're still more actively involved in his finances while he's still technically living under your roof even though even though he's going to school a, a state over this allows him to potentially make mistakes on a smaller scale and it allows him to start building a strong credit score from an early age. And I say smaller scale because like he you have more oversight really over him and what's going on with his life and I'm sure he's he's talking to you more about his money than he will at, I mean granted he's a teenager so probably not a lot but more than he will when he's 25, <laughs> right? Uh, or 24 when he's like out in the real world yeah. getting his first job, stuff like that. You still have the ability to kind of talk about these things, inquire and have an influence. And so I think now is a great time for him to get a credit card. Not wait 
wait too long, not make those mistakes when he's kind of flown the coop completely. And and uh, again, uh, that strong credit score, that's another perk of, of him beginning to use a credit card. There are other smaller perks, right? Like cash back or uh, earning earning points for free travel, stuff like that. That's all, that's all well and good. But more than anything, we want him to learn how to handle credit wisely now and make some of those mistakes while while you're still more involved yeah and so okay so for all the parents out there who don't have a a son or a daughter who is leaving the home like so one quick tip you can add a child to your credit card and not give them the credit card so they're able to effectively build up that credit score without technically having to do any of the work it's called so authorized user status yeah it's just, that's kind of like a little hack but the, ultimately that's not the reason that we want you involved with your son's finances ultimately it's because he needs to learn how to handle his finances on his own because he's about to go off into the real world sure and slowly and but surely he's going to be making his own decisions. He's going to be getting, I mean, he's got his own job, which is awesome, um, his, his uh, Chick-fil-A job. Uh, but beyond that, he's going to start making larger and larger financial decisions on his own. And your ability to speak into his life now, it's going to go a lot further than you providing an opinion later down the road, I think. Uh, but again, when it comes to credit cards specifically, make sure that he knows the downsides to using credit cards as well. It's not just points and cash back and boosting your credit score. <laughs> that is what the commercials want you to think, that it's only upside. It's all it's yeah they only highlight the glamorous it's all fun trips and Um, you know yeah but that oftentimes actually we feel the pain of paying with plastic less acutely it it doesn't hurt as much Uh, and then because of that yeah he might be tempted to maybe spend more than he actually has on hand and that he's actually able to pay off and and of course that's the cardinal sin of racking up interest if he doesn't actually pay that card off in full every single month that's one thing he needs to know that he has to do but no matter what, uh, as he starts going down the route of using plastic, just helping him to consider you know, what it looks like to manage that credit card ahead of time, that is a, a critical role that you play in this process. Um, credit cards in particular, they can be this, this dangerous financial tool that a lot of young folks in particular, that they find themselves in possession of. And so you want to make sure that he's using that tool the right way, just like you wouldn't hand you know, a three-year-old, a crazy sharp chef's knife and ask him to start chopping the carrots or something like that. Unless, I don't know, maybe there's some prodigies out there, (laughs) (laughs) but you want to ease him into it rather than, you know, like what you don't want to do is just be like, here's a credit card and then like send him on his way. Good luck. Basically, we don't want you to just to like throw him off into the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we exactly. want you to go swimming with him. Uh, <laughs> like ease into those waters Put together. Put some floaties on him. You remember like he did yeah. back when he was, you know, three or Back whatever, when he so. was just a, just a wee one. A young tyke. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's a, yeah, that's what you do. You're able to do, I think, by saying, yeah, you should get a credit card, but let's talk about how you use it. And so maybe give him some guidance and then also ask him when he comes home and he wants his laundry done or something. <laughs> Like, uh, one, make him do his own laundry because he's an adult now. And then two, talk about, hey, well, okay, talk to, talk about that credit card. How are you using it? How's it going? You're still paying it off on time and in full every single month. And uh, and, and that's a good way. You can, you'll can you be able to see whether he's telling the truth or not pretty quick. You don't even have to look at the back end, right? Uh, you don't have to log in. You'll, you'll get all you need to know just by asking the questions. And then you can continue that conversation. And it, But yes, it's definitely time for him to get his own bank account too. Like his paychecks, if he continues working, should go into that account, that account really should be the hub for his finances moving forward. And uh, But when you go off on your own and you start making your own purchases, it's important to keep track of incoming and outgoing funds. And so opening uh, a free Mint account, or we mentioned YNAB earlier, one of those, that could help him manage this newfound freedom as well. What YNAB users who are students get a, a discounted rate too, by the way, Matt, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's so, right. Uh, but having one credit card and a bank account preferably with one of our favorite online banks. It's his perfect initiation into handling his own funds as he as he's going out on his own, really. I think it's time for him to, to basically have all of his own accounts. And instead of helping him manage them, now you're just kind of acting as a guide from afar. Yeah. And, and hopefully, I mean, for all the other parents out there, this is a process that they, can, that they can start before the age of 18. Like, ideally, this is something that you're able to, you know, walk your kids through over time where you've got more time to kind of, you know, teach them and partner with them as opposed to, uh, Shannon, for you, it, it might feel more like a crash course. But that being said, I think he is capable. I mean, he's got a job, right? So it sounds like he's got a good work ethic and hopefully he's, maybe he's learned more about money there at, you know, working at a fast food joint than you realize. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's the other part of it as well. Like you might be concerned about what it is that he is stepping out into, but he might be 
potentially more prepared than you think. But for all the other parents out there, this is a conversation that ideally would start at a younger age as you kind of gradually initiate your your kids into handling their own finances well. But Shannon, I I think you you, kind of talked or you mentioned something about the car or car insurance as well. But uh, chances are that your rates, like what it is that you pay, would go down quite a bit (laughs) if your son were to get his own insurance policy. But it's also likely that his rates would be incredibly high, (laughs) making it potentially uh, just cost prohibitive for him. And on top of that, you'll likely be forced to keep him on your insurance if his permanent address is still your home address, which it likely would be if he's you know, off at school, staying in the dorms. Um, but one thing that you could do if you wanted him to partake in the pain of that expensive car insurance uh, is you can just have him pay a portion of those higher premiums just directly to you. Uh, it's a way for him to kind of feel the pain a little bit and to realize, oh man, like it's expensive being a kid. <laughs> that could be that could be his first monthly bill, right? Paying yeah. mom back for 100, 150 bucks worth of insurance every single month or some of that. You could say, hey, listen, if I were to take you off, it would save me uh, $2,200 a year. But guess what? I'm only going to make you pay half of that. So here's the monthly amount you owe me. And that's a really good way to kind of teach him. At the same time, while you're talking about things like credit cards and bank accounts, this is just one more way in which you can say, these are the kind of monthly bills you're going to get when you're an adult. They're going to slap you silly. They're going to they're, they're gonna wake you up to the stark mm-hmm. cold realities. Yep. of real life. You and start getting used to that. Yeah. Just the, the motions of making those payments, even though you're not making a payment to whatever insurance company. It's yeah, just to, to the, the bank of mom. Insurance company of mom. Uh, and by the way, make sure that he's, you know, different families prioritize the rides, the cars that they drive to different extents, but make sure that he's driving something maybe a little more affordable, maybe a beater, something that's old, that doesn't require you to have full coverage. If you can just get by with liability, what it is that your state requires of you that's going to that's a way that you're going to be able to keep those insurance premiums at a minimum yeah drive as well drive one of those early 2000s nissans or hondas or toyotas or something yeah. like that like that's going to be the way not only to have just a cheaper car that you don't mind if he messes up a little bit but also it's going to save you a bunch on insurance too all right matt we got one more question to get to this one's about a really expensive form of life insurance is it worth the extra expense hey there it's laura from atlanta love you guys and I got a bit of a doozy for you. Can you talk to me about IUL's indexed universal life insurance plans? What are the positives? What are the negatives? Is this something that you would take advantage of? I'm being told essentially that I can take out a life insurance policy, pay over and above my premium in order to create a savings account, and then borrow from it as a loan when I want to make investments in various projects. How does this work? Is this legitimate? I'd love to know your thoughts and if this is something you take advantage of. Thanks. All right. It is legit, but it is not something that we take advantage of. And by legit, I mean, it can be done. It's a product that exists. It, it, yeah, this is a real thing. <laughs> it's not a total scam, but it is not in your own best interest. This doesn't fall into TikTok financial advice that's completely <laughs> bogus. Exactly. This is a product that some people do buy, but it's one we don't like. It's got a little more truthiness to it, <laughs> but not a ton more. Like like uh, IULs, indexed universal life policies. They make me think of car sales folks out there who are they're showing you all the different cars they have on the lot, and they're showing you the sweet paint jobs while they're not letting you have a peek at the engine. Yeah. They're trying to distract you with all these other things, with the additional key fob that, <laughs> that they're going to include. Yeah. And you're like, but wait a second. I want to know if it actually runs. Has like the timing belts uh-huh. been changed recently? No, 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 no. Just look at this over here. Right. Uh, distraction, distraction. Oh, well, yeah, no, we buffed it. It looks great, right? <laughs> and, but the reality is what's what's going on under the hood. Like this, the car is kind of a POS, right? And and the same is true for an indexed universal for IULs. Life. Yeah. The, sa- the salesperson is really stoked to sell it to you because they make all- out like a bandit. Exactly. But yeah. Well, so it's, it's not just how expensive they are, but the, like the root of the problem is that this is a life insurance product that's basically in search of a problem. It's been created and they're trying to like back sell it to folks. The real reason to have actual life insurance is just to ensure that your family is taken care of. Were you to pass away prematurely if they were counting on your income or the value or the services, whatever, that you're able to provide your family? But life insurance as an investing vehicle is unnecessary, and that is what Indexed Universal Life does. And it's actually, from a financial standpoint, again, it's legal, but it's financially harmful for most folks. Uh, And it's because the fees, they can be breathtakingly high. Uh, And those fees, as we all know, when it comes to investments, 
eat into those lofty return promises. It's, it's a part of why we're also not fans of actively managed funds, because it's not necessarily that we're going to argue with the performance, although it's a coin flip <laughs> over the course of a year as to whether or not an actively managed fund outperforms the market. But then when you account for the fees that are taken out of those profits, at the end of the day, you would have been better off to have just passively invested in an index fund. Yeah. And these policies are complicated, right? They, That's the problem. They sure make it sound like you're going to snag stock market-like returns inside of your insurance policy, combining the best of both worlds. Oh, it sounds so nice, right? But if you read the fine print, you'll notice that there's a cap on the upside of the, the returns you're able to participate in. So if the stock market has a particularly great year, guess what? You participate a little, but not a lot. And so Index Universal Life, it combines, in our minds, two things that should be separate, investing and insurance. And it's charging you a buttload of money to do it, right? And so the solution that this product is trying to is trying to solve, it, it makes it, it makes the sales folks, these insurance companies money at your expense. It's a product that is is not suitable for most people and it's charging you a buttload to do so. So basically you're investing in something based on the promises of a salesperson and what ends up happening is you end up getting parted from your money uh, in hopes of future gains, but these these uh, policies don't deliver in the way that the salespeople say they're going to. What's that song? It was like, uh, oh, got to keep them separated. Well, uh, like, I don't know. You don't know? Is this is a band from the '90s? There is like an alt. There's an alt band. Um, I know Third Eye Blind. It was, it was not Third. Okay, okay. yeah. Uh, anyway, I, th- I thought we would be able to run with it there. <laughs> uh, but fact is, yeah, this is something that they've combined that you don't need to combine. It's like it makes me think of the Home Shopping Network, and it's like they've got all these products. But really, do you need these products? They've combined the functions of this thing and this thing, and they've smashed it into one thing. This glorious product that you should buy, but you don't need that thing. Yeah, <laughs> like it's three in one. It's like, but I already have the three things. Do it's I like, really I, need the one? I don't. And and actually, all three of those things into one makes no like like uh like edible underwear. I, I remember the first time I heard I heard of edible underwear, I was uh-huh. just like. That's disgusting. Like <laughs> these are two things they shouldn't be combined. Nobody, I don't care who it is that you love. Edible underwear should not be a thing. <laughs> we should keep the things that we eat separate from underwear. Underwear is nasty. <laughs> That's how we feel about this indexed universal life. Uh, and so let's get back to the, the cost portion of an IUL policy. Part of the reason that we love term policies so much, uh, and this is the alternative to indexed universal life, are level term life insurance policies. The reason that those are so great is because they are so dang cheap. And cheap doesn't always actually mean better, of course, but an IUL policy, it can easily cost, Joel, you teased to this earlier, 15 times more in premiums each and every single month. And so instead of uh, just like a t- like 20 bucks a month for life insurance, you might be forking over 300 bucks for this much fancier product that you don't even need. And like truly the goal of life insurance is to have a policy in place that's going to never actually pay you a dime. It's just there yeah. just in case in the worst case scenario where you live forever. And then, <laughs> you know, or at least like you're going to live outlive that 30 year period that that policy is going to last. And then after that, you're able to self-insure or fact is you're no longer going to have individuals who are dependent on your income at that right. point. Yep. So you do not need a permanent death benefit. And were you to opt for one, it's going to cost you way too much to have that policy in place. What they're providing, you don't need, right? Mm-hmm. At least not to that nearly that extent. It's like bringing a bazooka to a knife fight. It's like, <laughs> it's it's too much. It's something you don't need. And it's like, all I need is a can opener. <laughs> I don't even need a knife. Right, like, it's like, get out of here I'm not going to stab my can of beans. I just want to crack this thing open. Like, quit, quit making me a product <laughs> that like does 10 different things. It's like some sort of multi-tool when I just need the one. So take the simple approach. Get a term life policy to make sure your family is taken care of in the event of, of course, your passing. Save a ton of money uh, versus this IUL policy that you're being pitched, and then use those additional dollars. We're talking like hundreds of dollars a month in additional dollars that then you're not paying towards the IUL premiums Mm -hmm. to throw into low-cost index funds, preferably through your retirement accounts. You're, yeah. you're keeping these two two things separate. You're letting these accounts do what they do best. The term life insurance policy for like 20 or 30 years in all likelihood, doing what it does best for a really inexpensive rate, and then letting your retirement accounts do what they do best, funneling as much money as you can in that direction. And so while while an IUL, an indexed universal life policy, it might sound like a smart product when the salesperson is covering the highlights, you'd, you'd really be opting for an inefficient product that costs you more and that's going to provide 
worse returns for you for decades to come. I'd rather see you, yeah, use your money in a more efficient manner, and uh, that that also comes with fewer fees. That's right. Yeah, and this isn't to just prove that I wasn't listening to what you're saying, Joel. But I think it was Offspring. Uh, oh, did you ever listen to Offspring? Not really. Day? No. What was their big song? I know their big song. What was it? Oh, I don't know. But one of their songs was this. Was that? Was that one? Like, hey, hey, got it. Shows, shows how cool so, I was back. Sorry, in the 90s. it wasn't Third Eye Blind, cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the only '90s band. No, there were lots of I great know, '90s I, bands. There, but were, there were some like, other ones. Like, Oasis. But that was my favorite by far. Well, I love Oasis. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like Hootie and the Blowfish too. But I, I try not to admit that out loud because <laughs> a lot of people judge me when I tell them that. So. Hootie is your go-to karaoke artist, though. Of course it is, yeah. yeah. Uh, that and Creed. Uh, <laughs> no. hey, we'll, go, we'll go ahead and uh, move on to the beer. Definitely that, not Creed. <laughs> that you and I enjoyed during this episode. This was a Delusional Deformities. This was a double IPA by Burial there out of Asheville, North Carolina. But, mmm, that's how I felt uh, <laughs> about this beer. I'm well, going to describe it in sounds. What were, uh, what were your thoughts on this one? Mm-mm, lickety split. <laughs> now, I'm going to say, uh, so this one had lactose in it, which gave it like this, this smoothness. And so the smooth with the hot bite. And any, any IPA you're going to get from Burial is going to have that hot bite. Well, I think oh they use gosh. more hops than almost any other brewer. So, but that with the hop uh, insanity combined with the lactose smoothness just creates kind a, of a delicious approachable IPA. It, it balances out. Yeah, approachable for a double. So this is yeah. definitely a, a bigger IPA. If you have never had an IPA before, don't go walking into your local package store and see a double and think that that means it's twice as good. It kind of means that to us because it's... I've, Leave it to the pros. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, the first time I ever have an, I, that I ever had an IPA, it, like literally I was living in North Carolina, very close to Asheville. And my friend Dan, he said, it's an acquired taste. And I still like I literally remember drinking that duck rabbit. I think it was a duck rabbit IPA there on the spot. And I just remember thinking, oh, man, this is the most terrible tasting <laughs> beer that I have ever had. Um, but it does have a certain bitterness to it. Kind of like the first time I had scotch. But then those acquired tastes turn into your favorite flavors. It's, somehow it evolves. But but yeah, so avoid the doubles, avoid the triples. But I do think that the New England hazies, they do have a sweetness, um, kind of a orange juiciness to them that do make them a little more approachable than the West Coast IPAs. Because those West Coast IPAs have that like orange peel pith piney resiny notes and that's mm-hmm. not what you get out of some of these east coast hazies um but this was a perfect example of a hazy double ipa i'm glad you and i got to share this one today on the show for sure love all things burial and this one was excellent all right that's going to do it for this episode if you want uh, show notes links to anything that we mentioned or resources that we used on the show you can find those up on our website at howtomoney.com also if you have a question for us we'd love to take oh, it yeah. on an upcoming episode just go to howtomoney.com slash ask or or literally just record your question into your phone and send it over our way at howtomoneypod at gmail.com that's right it is super easy to do but joel that is going to be it for this episode until next time best friends out Best friends out. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.